Alright, so this evening we will pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, the plan is to get through chapter 22. So tonight uh, we will uh, bounce around a little bit in terms of uh, the commandments <coughs> that uh, uh, we will see as we, we uh, continue to consider this extended commentary on uh, God's law. So uh, we will spend some time in the seventh commandment. Uh, we will spend some time uh, in the fifth commandment, perhaps here, and then uh, we will also see uh, some portions of the holiness code uh, from Leviticus chapter 19 as well. So uh, we'll bounce around and we'll give some uh, some context for each of those as we get to them. So we're going to begin uh, in a continuing discussion on the seventh commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery, which is a summary statement for uh, domestic relationships. And so we'll see uh, a couple of instances of that here this evening. So as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10, this is Moses speaking to this second generation of Israelites on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, on the uh, verge of his death and on the verge of Joshua, uh, his mentee, taking over as the leader of Israel uh, before they go into Canaan. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 21, verse 10. When you go out to battle against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and you take them away captive, and see among the captives a beautiful woman, and have a desire for her, and would take her as a wife for yourself, then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall also remove the clothes of her captivity, and shall remain in your house, and mourn her father and mother a full month. And after that you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. And it shall be, if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes. But you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her, because you have humbled her. Verse 15. If a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him sons, if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then it shall be in the day that he wills that he has to have that he ha I'm sorry, then it shall be in the day he wills what he has to his sons. He cannot make the son of the loved the firstborn before the son of the unloved, who is the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. Okay, so um, we begin here. We're going to see this a, a couple of times this evening. Uh, some laws, uh, perhaps, that are uh, difficult uh, for us. Uh, there will be uh, at least one that comes along in Deuteronomy 22 as well, I think. So here in uh, Deuteronomy 21, uh, verses 10 through 17, these uh, eight verses, um, we see some things here that perhaps uh, we don't understand. Clearly, God uh, here is allowing, in the context of his, uh, his law, uh, things that uh, under, let's say, the terms of the New Covenant, uh, we don't understand and certainly would not affirm, let's say, at Abiding Grace Church, right? So here uh, in verses 10 through 14, we have Moses allowing um, the Israelites who go out to battle uh, and they bring home uh, a captive woman, uh, verse 11, a beautiful woman. Um, and if the Israelite soldier 
uh, has a desire for her and would take her as a wife for himself, then there are stipulations here for uh, allowing that. Now, this would obviously have to be in the context of uh, battle and taking away captives uh, from uh, nations that are not in the land of Canaan because we know uh, that the Israelites were forbidden to marry, intermarry with those uh, seven pagan nations uh, that were in the land of Canaan. And so um, that is assumed in here. Uh, nonetheless, we see this allowance from God uh, to bring this captive woman uh, into an Israelite soldier's house. In verse 12, the, the stipulations begin uh, that she shall shave her head uh, and trim her nails. Uh, verse 13, uh, she shall remove the clothes of her captivity. And then also in verse 13, she shall be allowed to mourn her father and mother a full month. And then after that, this captive woman is allowed to become uh, the wife of the uh, the Israelite soldier. So, you know, what's going on here in uh, verses 12 and 13? Um, so there are a couple of possibilities. It may actually be both as to uh, what's going on here during the course of this month of mourning. Um, so one of the things that may be happening is that uh, during the course of this month, um, she, this woman is to shave her head, trim her nails, uh, and uh, essentially not, not beautify herself as she removes the clothes of her captivity. Uh, and, and perhaps this is the stipulation in the law that um, allows the Israelite soldier to see her uh, for who she really is as she removes all of her outward appearances of beauty. And so during the course of this month, uh, perhaps the Israelite soldier will come to the place where he decides that in fact he does not want to take uh, this captive woman as his wife. And so this may be a means by which uh, to begin to uh, convince the Israelite soldier that this is the wrong uh, thing to do. Uh, there's also probably in here uh, some renunciation uh, of the woman's idols. Uh, it is assumed, of course, that she is uh, some type of pagan, not an Israelite, right? And so this shaving of her head and trimming of her nails and essentially removing all of the outward signs of her pagan uh, idolatry, um, especially, for example, uh, if she was some sort of uh, cult or temple prostitute, uh, that she would have to uh, renounce uh, all of those uh, idolatries and all of those practices uh, by removing all of these uh, outward signs of her commitments to some sort of pagan gods. right? And so there's this month that's allowed in verse 13. And then in verse 14, um, if after the Israelite uh, man takes her as a captive wife, and uh, it says, verse 14, if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go uh, wherever she wishes, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her because you have humbled her. Right? And, and so she's not to be treated as a slave if she is found to not be pleasing to the Israelite man, but she is to be treated uh, as a woman who has been uh, humbled and she is to be respected because, in fact, she was this Israelite man's wife, at least temporarily. Now, it is also most likely, and again, uh, clearly God makes allowances in verses 15 uh, through 17 here. Um, in, in some cases, it's assumed 
that this captive woman who is taken as a man's wife may in fact not be his first wife. And so you see in verses 15 through 17 this stipulation for if a man has two wives, and of course there's these laws for a wife who is loved and another wife who is unloved. And and this should bring to uh, our minds (coughs) Jacob, uh, who is the father of the Israelites, who himself, uh, at least early on uh, in his life, had um, two wives, one who was loved, that would be Rachel, and one who was unloved, uh, that would be Leah. And so uh, it may be that God makes these allowances in the lives of the Israelites because this was the pattern that was set for them by their father, uh, Jacob, who became Israel. And so if you remember in that story back, I believe in uh, Genesis 25, that was where uh, Jacob ends up marrying both Leah and Rachel, Laban's daughters. Uh, He's tricked actually into marrying uh, Leah first, which was not the woman that he was actually intending to marry, Uh, but she was the older of the sisters, and so Laban tricked her into, uh, or tricked Jacob into marrying Leah first, and uh, it is clear from uh, that narrative that Leah was the unloved daughter, right? And so the stipulations here in um, Deuteronomy uh, 21 verses 15 through 17 are that even if a, um, uh, one of the wives is unloved, her oldest son is not allowed to be mistreated if he is the firstborn of the husband. Uh, That oldest son, even of the unloved wife, is to get the double portion uh, for that is uh, that is deserved uh, by the firstborn, right? And uh, we remember, and we'll come back to this uh, uh, near the end, we remember that the firstborn son of Israel was in fact Reuben, uh, and he was the son of Leah, the unloved wife, uh, he ended up not getting the double portion of the firstborn uh, son <coughs> because he himself actually uh, forfeited uh, that inheritance by his uh, his uh, fornication uh, with uh, one of Jacob's other wives. So uh, anyway, long and tortuous story there. Uh, and admittedly, uh, there are allowances here in God's law that perhaps uh, we do not understand and would not affirm some of those actually coming out of the narrative uh, with Jacob, for example. If we pick up in verse 18, uh, this would be uh, hearkening back uh, to the fifth commandment, uh, this uh, honor your father and mother. So verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 21 If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear of it and fear. Verse 22, And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. 
Okay, so all of these uh, verses, I think, uh, actually go together. Let me explain. So here in verses 18 through 21, we have this stubborn and rebellious son uh, who is unwilling uh, to obey the fifth commandment to honor his father and his mother. And it and it seems as though this is clearly not a one-off uh, issue because in verse 18, it's clear that the parents have chastised this son and made every attempt uh, to bring this son under submission within the household. And he is clearly at the end of verse 18, not listening to the parents. And so once the, the father and the mother have uh, had enough, they shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city. And so it is assumed that there will be some kind of a trial there uh, in front of the elders uh, in the in the city, and they will plead their case. Right, And then uh, here's what they'll say, of course, in verse 20. And you can see again that this is not a one-off thing. They shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Right, And so uh, this is a son who clearly has been repeatedly disobedient and also uh, extremely difficult, not just for his family, but uh, likely for uh, the city itself. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death, verse 21. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear of it and fear. And then we have this um, this law in verse 22, right? If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. And so um, it is most likely that this hanging of the man on a tree um, is not a hanging as we would think of it, but this is most likely uh, the hanging of a person on a tree after he has been stoned to death as an example to the rest of the Israelites. So you see in verse 21, all Israel shall hear of it and fear. And so this uh, person, in this particular case, this rebellious son, after being stoned to death, is then subsequently hung on a tree so that everybody in the city City understands that this is what happens to somebody who is stubborn and rebellious and disobedient and a glutton and a drunkard, and so it clearly is acting as a, a means of restraint on sin for the people in that city once they see what happens to somebody who is all of those things. And of course, the stipulation continues in verse 23. That after stoning to death and then subsequently being hung on the tree as an example, that man's corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now, it's also very interesting here that this verse Uh, 23 of Deuteronomy 21 has some uh, New Testament implications. So, for example, um, the fact that someone who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. Uh, The Apostle Paul looks back at this particular law in Deuteronomy 21, and he applies it to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul himself declares that because Jesus was crucified and hung on a tree, he was hanged there as a curse, um, explicitly as a curse for us, 
Um, and then also you can see that this law in Deuteronomy 21-23 is picked up in the Gospel of John as well in relation to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because they wanted to get Jesus' body down off the cross before nightfall. You can read in John chapter 19 verse 31 the desire to take Jesus' body down off of the cross so that he would not hang there all night. And that would be have been completely consistent with the Deuteronomic law that we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23. So a couple of New Testament references there for you as well. As we pick up in Deuteronomy 22, uh, what we see here generally is this idea that we see in Leviticus 19.18, which Jesus also quotes in Matthew 22, this idea that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, a couple of these laws here in Deuteronomy 22 will be uh, as applied to loving your neighbor, which of course would be a summary of the entire second table of the law, uh, the commandments 5 through 10. So let's see here. So Deuteronomy 22 verse 1. You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. And if your countryman is not near you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it. Then you shall restore it to him. And thus you shall do with his donkey and you shall do the same with his garment and you shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen which he has lost and you have found. You are not allowed to neglect them. You shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox fallen down on the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. So, as I said, this would fall under the uh, loving your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Right. This is what we would like our uh, fellow countrymen to do for us when we get into a difficult situation, uh, like we have lost uh, our ox or our sheep. Uh, right. In many cases, the ox is a um, a symbol of of how we survive, right, in an agrarian society. And so this is a, a big deal, right? And so if you see an ox which has wandered away and you know to whom it belongs, uh, then verse 1, you shall certainly bring that ox back to the person uh, whom you know is the owner of that particular ox. And if you don't know who the owner is, right, then in verse 2, it says you're to bring it uh, home to your house, right? And it shall remain with you. You shall take care of it, feed it, care for it. Um, and then if the owner comes looking for that ox, you shall restore it to him. And there's no stipulation for any charge in this particular case. Um, same with the donkey, same with the garment, anything that is lost, right? At the end of verse 3, my particular translation, which is a New American Standard, says you are not allowed to neglect them. Uh, literally, it says you are not allowed to hide yourself, okay? And so uh, this uh, would be if the ox wanders into your stable, you're not to hide the ox from your countrymen, right? Don't, don't hide anything. Either hide yourself, like you can't be found, or hide the ox or the sheep or the donkey of the one uh, who lost it, right? You are to return it because this is the expectation uh, for what you would expect your countrymen to do for you. We move now into a little bit of the holiness code itself. 
uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. I'll just read the one verse. It's a very interesting verse, especially as related to our particular day. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad thing for me to have to mention, of course, but, but this type of thing is uh, becoming extremely rampant uh, in our culture today, um, you know, we remember 10, 20, just a few decades ago that this type of thing uh, would simply have applied to what at the time we would have called uh, transvestites or, or uh, let's say, a man uh, who liked to wear wom- women's clothes. Um, it is obviously in the um, last few years, especially uh, very recently, uh, become much worse than that, where, um, again, a shame for me to say that our culture has become extremely confused about what men and women are um, specifically. Uh, and so this is uh, running rampant, and, and um, it's, it's running away in our culture, and it's sad to mention. Uh, nonetheless, we see here that in God's law, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, uh, that these types of things are explicitly prohibited by God and are declared to be an abomination in the eyes of the Lord our God. Verses 6 and 7. If you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, in order that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days. Right, And so here we have this, um, clearly God allowing us to uh, eat eggs, uh, and for for those of us who uh, enjoy a, a couple of over medium eggs on on uh, in the morning for breakfast, uh, this is certainly a uh, a good law, something that you can absolutely rally behind. And and it's interesting because I think the best thing I can do in terms of mapping it to the Decalogue is uh, map it to the fifth commandment. Uh, as a relationship uh, for um, for parents and children, right? And the reason I do that is at the end of verse 7, you see that it, uh, it says, in order that it may, may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. And that type of language, you don't have to necessarily go there, but if you go back to Deuteronomy 5 where we see the Decalogue and you read through uh, the fifth command... It reads like this, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16. And that language uh, is repeated here in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 7. And so there's something here about uh, respecting the mother bird sitting on her eggs, uh, however being allowed to take uh, the eggs themselves uh, that may be related uh, to back to the fifth commandment. It also reminds me of what we saw, I think, uh, last time uh, we were together in Deuteronomy 21, uh, verses 19 and 20, and the besieging of a city and what types of trees that you're actually allowed uh, to cut down, right? You were allowed to cut down trees that were not fruit-bearing trees, but you were supposed to leave intact the trees that were fruit-bearing. And so we see we don't want to take away the fruit-bearing trees uh, that bear fruit to eat, and we don't want to take away the mothers that are capable capable of producing young or eggs uh, for eating. 
Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. Again, we hearken back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, about loving our neighbor. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls from it. And so this is the idea where we as homeowners uh, are to um, provide... um, Things in our houses, right, uh, that make sure that when people come to our houses, uh, they are safe. And so this would be uh, consistent in our day, for example, with things like railings on staircases or perhaps lights on our stairs if people show up in the middle of the night, that type of thing. And so uh, this would be a high level sort of look out for your neighbor who's come to visit you as they're walking up on your roof. We certainly don't want them to fall off. And so this is generally care for our neighbors. More of the holiness code, picking up in verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest all the produce of the seed which you have sown and the increase of the vineyard become defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a material mixed of wool and linen together. You shall make for yourself tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. And so um, some of the modern day skeptics uh, look at people People like us, uh, new covenant Christian believers, and and uh, as as a form of mockery, they would ask us, you know, why we wear clothes uh, that contain do, two different types of material and that sort of thing, and why we would uh, farm in our uh, fields with two different types of seeds, and and uh, they use that again to mock us. But at the end of the day, these stipulations, these laws are in place, and we've seen them before in our study of the Pentateuch. These laws are in place. God provides these laws to his people as a means by which to continuously remind them that they are to be separate from the pagan nations around them. There is to be no intermarrying, especially with the land, the people of the lands of Canaan. There's not to be any intermingling, right? Because then they would be caught up in the pagan idolatry of those nations that surround them. And so God uses these visual uh, opportunities to continually remind the Israelites that they are to be separated from the pagan nations around them and they are to not engage in their worship and thus uh, commit spiritual adultery against the Lord their God that redeemed them out of Egyptian slavery. All right, verses 13 through the rest of the chapter. Verse 13, if any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. And then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him, and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father, because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel. And she shall remain his 
his wife, he cannot divorce her all his days. But if this charge is true, that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death, because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death, the girl because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. But if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. When he found her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. If a man finds a girl who is a virgin, who is not engaged, and seizes her and lies with her, and they are discovered, then the man who lays with her shall give to the girl's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall become his wife because he has violated her. He cannot divorce her all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife so that he shall not uncover his father's skirt." Okay, so we have uh, this series of laws on uh, sexual morality uh, in Israel, right? And so in verses 13 and following, we have uh, the, the wedding night, as it were, as a man takes a wife, and then he and she go in uh, to consummate the marriage. Uh, and the man, for whatever reason, uh, in those moments or hours, decides that he uh, has made the wrong decision. And so he comes out, and he attempts to publicly defame the girl by declaring that she was not a virgin when she was saying that she was. Right. So then we have this uh, trial of sorts where the father and the mother uh, bring out the garments, right, the sheets on the bed uh, to prove that in fact she was a virgin right, and so uh, they should take them to the elders uh, and if they prove that she in fact was a virgin, then in verse 18 the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him and they shall fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel and she shall remain Remain his wife, he cannot divorce her all his days. And, and I'll talk a little bit about that this idea that he cannot divorce her all his days, even though he's made a public charge against her. We'll come back to that in verses 28 and 29. But we see here, I mean, at the end of the day, I, in my view, these laws are in place primarily as a deterrent. Primarily as a deterrent, because the man knows what's going to happen to him in the case where he lies about this woman, right? And so all of these laws uh, here uh, in this particular portion are a deterrent, and and they're they're to cause a man to think before he acts. So shall the um, the evil be purged from Israel. 
Verses 20 and following, of course, if the girl is not found to be a virgin, uh, because the sheets themselves don't provide the evidence for that, then she shall be stoned to death because she is obviously a fornicator and she has played the harlot. So she has shed, said that she was a virgin. She went into the wedding claiming to be a virgin. And of course, she was lying the entire time and she has previously played the harlot in her father's house. Verse 21. In verse 22, if a man is found lying with a married woman, so this is clearly uh, the uh, you shall not commit adultery, the seventh commandment, uh, that both the man and the married woman uh, should be killed. Right? Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Then we have this situation of a, a, a man and a girl. Um, and, and you see in verse 23, they're there in the city. Right? So if they have a, a premarital uh, relationship, okay, um, she's obviously engaged to another man, right? And they engage in this premarital relationship. Uh, obviously she's she's the woman is engaged to a different man, right? And they do it in the city. That's the key in verse twenty three, right? Right? Because th- this is protecting against the idea that the woman is trying to the woman herself is trying to escape the punishment for what she has done, right? By claiming that the man took advantage of her. And this particular stipulation will have none of that if the act was done in the city because it is assumed that in the city she could cry out you see that verse 24 the girl because she did not cry out in the city and the man because he has violated his neighbor's wife the assumption is that if you are in the town right and you are taken advantage of the woman is taken advantage of then she can cry out and and cry out to be rescued and then she would be saved from being taken advantage of by the man verse 25 but if in the field this happens, if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die because she's in the field and so the assumption is that he has wooed her out away from the city, away from people, and has taken advantage of her and it is not her fault in that particular case because there was no one around to hear her cry. And so uh, he is, uh, you can see uh, the man dies, right? Verse 25, but you shall do nothing to the girl. Verse 26, there's no sin in the girl worthy of death. And, and of course, the reason why the man dies, it says in verse 26, is that this is just like a man rising up against his neighbor and murdering him if he unlawfully takes uh, his um, betrothed girl and takes her out of the city and and uh, violates her okay verses 28 and 29 if a man finds a girl who is a virgin who is not engaged and seizes her and lies with her and they are discovered then the man who lay with her shall give to the girl's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall become his wife because he has violated her he cannot divorce her all his days so let me talk a little bit about these uh, two verses um it turns out that um, these two verses, Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29, um, are uh, pretty controversial, actually, among the skeptics uh, that I have um, engaged with over the years. Uh, I know specifically of two different people uh, who um, became significant skeptics 
um, and uh, in fact um, turned away from faith in, in many ways. And, and these two verses were instrumental uh, in that. Um, in those two persons' opinions, um, they, they believe uh, that these laws, which uh, we believe, of course, were given by Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, were in fact uh, not righteous, uh, but evil. Right. The implication in verse 28 is that there's um, a rape here. Um, you can see in verse 28 it says, and seizes her and lies with her. And in the opinion uh, of these two persons, um, this, uh, the stipulations provided in verse 29 uh, are not severe enough uh, for the man who is guilty of rape, and they would they would also look back, as I previously mentioned, back to verse nineteen, that they would say that the man who publicly uh, defames his wife, uh, perhaps the uh, the the consequences there are not as severe as they ought to be. But definitely uh, verses twenty eight and twenty nine, and and you know I have uh, thought a lot about this personally. I've had to uh, obviously answer uh, both of these men. Uh, for this case of what should happen to a man in Israel uh, who uh, is found to be guilty of rape of a virgin who is not engaged. And, and at the end of the day, uh, there, there are two things that I would say. Number one, as I said earlier, I do believe that these laws are in place primarily as a deterrent. Right? If the man knows what his, the consequences are going to be of his actions, then he is strongly encouraged to think about, to count the cost, to count the consequences uh, of these laws for his actions. Right? This idea that, that he, in both of these cases, verse 19 and also verse 29, that if he goes forward with this action, either to defame his wife or to seize a woman and lie with her, he has to understand that according to the Mosaic Law in Israel, he is now forced to stay with that woman for the rest of his life. Care for her. Take care of her. Right, And, and oftentimes, the objection is, well, the, the consequence of rape ought to be death, right? Stoning to death, similar to something like uh, adultery. Uh, and in fact, one of, the, one of the persons to whom I was speaking who, who sees uh, Deuteronomy 22 verses 28 and 29 uh, as unrighteous wrote, wrote uh, his own law. This is how the law should read, right? Which I find to be extremely uh, arrogant, uh, especially if you're, you're uh, arguing with the, uh, the one true God of the universe and his law. And, but the bottom line here is that, for example, if you stipulate uh, death for these men, either the one who defames his wife uh, or the one who uh, violates, who seizes a woman and, and lies with her, right? The bottom line is that that woman, now having been defiled, right? If the man is killed, right, no one is left to take care of this woman. Right? She's clearly been humiliated in the eyes of her fellow Israelites. She will most likely be relegated to her parents' house for the rest of her life, and there will be no one to take care of her. Right? And so again, as we see these laws as a deterrent, 
for the man, he needs to count the cost, count the consequence, and if he goes through with these actions, then his consequence is he must marry this woman, take care of her, and treat her the way she deserves to be treated for the rest of his and her lives, right? And so I personally believe um, that these are righteous laws, and I also personally believe that these laws are in place to deter young men uh, in their passions from making mistake that would cost them uh, severely for the rest of their lives. And in verse 30, as we wrap up in Deuteronomy chapter 22, a man shall not take his father's wife so that he shall not uncover his father's skirt. And uh, as we hearkened back to Genesis uh, earlier in the discussion this evening uh, with Jacob and Leah and Rachel, so also um, this Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 30 uh, harkens back to, to Genesis and, and the in the case of Reuben, which I previously mentioned as well. Right, and so Reuben forfeited his inheritance. You can read that in Genesis chapter forty-nine, as Jacob is is blessing or cursing his sons. Uh, that Reuben does not get a blessing because of what he did in Genesis thirty-five. So. Okay, so again, uh, uh, perhaps a, a difficult portion of the Deuteronomic law. I think some of these things uh, um, give us pause, uh, cause us to, to have to think hard uh, and to prayerfully consider uh, God's wisdom. Uh, and I think uh, we saw a couple of those tonight, uh, but hopefully this was helpful. And um, when we pick up in a couple of weeks, we will pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 23.